0: Yeah. Welcome to Voice Acting Up, a podcast where I interview working voice actors who are working their way up. I'm Sean Rohani, and today's part two with the multi-talented Daniel Ross. We dive deep into how to navigate sound-alike auditions, the specific skills that have helped Daniel book so many of those elusive animation auditions, his venture into coaching, and much more. If you'd like to be coached by him, go to actordanielross.com coaching. He's also on all the social medias as actor Daniel Ross. In the meantime, here is my chat with actor Daniel Ross. You mentioned you did a lot of work to honor the character and uh, they wanted you to honor specifically the the original. So just I guess with soundalikes in general, including this gig, what's sort of your process? How do you balance trying to honor the original and then also bringing it to today and, and bringing your own taste to it and sort of meshing the two together?
1: Well, I think that um, that's a great question. I think that it's important to honor what came before. And anytime I've been in a situation where there's a voice match involved, like Lucky the Leprechaun, we were emulating Doug Preeze as opposed Mm -hmm. to Arthur Anderson, which he had his own unique sound. But with Donald Duck, because this was for a Disney Junior show the producers really wanted me to be able to speak as clearly as possible so that they could do more with the character than had been done before. So there really was a lot of wiggle room for us to be able to discover different things about this character, different facets of his personality uh, that maybe were not readily available in other uh, versions of the character. Mm -hmm. So it was important for me to try to enunciate as clearly as possible and then I was also asked to slightly pitch up the voice so it would be more friendly and accessible to a younger audience. Hmm. So my version of Donald is distinctly different from Clarence Nash. Now, I could do Clarence Nash, you know. Right. You know I could do that version. Yeah. So slightly different, but in the same vein of the character and and again just trying to honor what came before as much as possible while still being able to breathe some new life into it
0: yeah did you find that enunciating as donald was more difficult or was an easy adjustment to make it
1: wasn't difficult for me. I, I've always been able to speak relatively clearly with the voice or, or have people understand what I'm trying to communicate. Right. Uh, even if I have to repeat myself, you know, once or twice. Sure. Um, I've always been able to do that. And I've always been able to, you know, speak in different languages or, you know, say very complicated things. So that wasn't new to me. It was just new, I think, for the character to be able to have more of a dialogue uh, right. than previously.
0: That's good to know. And I think, you know, it's a it's a very helpful tip too. like you mentioned, you did all your homework, but you kept in mind that this is for a a Disney Junior show, um, which should naturally inform your voice acting. So um, because a lot of people might just look at a Donald Duck, uh, you know, if they have that audition, they'll just try to do the Donald Duck impression, regardless of where it's it's being shown. But I'm going to. Well, I think
1: I think with that said, it's very important to listen to the instructions in your audition. Mm -hmm. My my audition was not what we ended up doing. My audition was classic Clarence Nash, and I think Mm -hmm. that's because they wanted to hear that I could do that, and then work with me to be able to accommodate the production and their needs. Mm -hmm. So there was an evolution there, Um, but I would never say like oh if you're do if you're auditioning for a legacy character or for something that is pre-established that you should augment it in a different way you should just follow the instructions as to what's given
0: right okay that makes sense and just with auditions and in, in general i definitely have many follow-up questions with that but uh i wanted to backtrack a little bit because you mentioned this was a few months after you got your your agent so um you know, I love to ask my guests what their agency story is and what their SAG story is, because everybody's story is completely different and there is no straight path. So I'm curious what your path to eventually getting your agent was. And then, you know, after that, what your SAG story was, how you ended up joining SAG or SAG after. Sure.
1: sure. Well, uh, you know, for my agent... I had been, you know, sending messages to different agencies and, you know, getting some meetings and I was, I was being turned down left and right, which mm. I anticipated. I was the new guy in town and I didn't really know what I was doing. I was super green behind the ears, but I was, you know, working with the right people to get a good demo done. I had a good animation demo, a good commercial demo, and uh, I just, you know, used my, Lifetime of people skills to be able to, you know, try to introduce myself at good opportunities or go to networking events Mm -hmm. and just kind of prove that, hey, I'm a good person to work with. You know, I'm reliable. I show up on time. You give me an audition, I'm going to do the best I can for it. And uh, Michaela Hicks of Solid Talent at the time, she's now currently at Vox. Right. Um, She's the one who gave me my opportunity. I I went to a meeting with her. Somebody recommended me. One of my friends recommended me to her and she took the meeting and uh, I I auditioned for her and I did some reads and she was impressed. And she put me on the roster. Uh, So I started immediately reading for all these big, big projects and commercial stuff. And I I very quickly was very busy uh, doing this all the time. Because when you start with an agency, they throw the kitchen sink at you. Right. Uh, as they as they learn what it is that you're really capable of to curate for you better. So I, I was so busy, and I was so happy to be busy, and uh, it was just uh, it really was incredible that I found myself in a place that uh, I was wanted, and my skills were applicable, and I started booking. And that's really all there is to it. When an agent wants to put you on their roster, it's because they want to know that you're going to help them make money. So, you know, what is it that's going to help you make money? You have to know what you're capable of. And Mm -hmm. when I mentioned my gamble before about moving to Los Angeles, I knew what my capabilities were. I knew that I had some proficiency with animation and accents and things of that nature. So I, I knew that I had a leg up in that category and I just had to master it over time Mm -hmm. so that's my agent story and i'm sticking to it (laughs) (laughs) that's now as far as sad goes Mm -hmm. um you know it's a it's kind of a catch-22 to get into the union because you have to do union work to acquire uh waivers to get into the union but you have to be a union member to do union work so how do you get into the union and in my case, I was a stand in on the movie Ladder 49 with John Travolta and Joaquin Phoenix. Oh,
0: wow. And I was
1: Joaquin Phoenix's stand in for the duration of it. It was a firefighter movie. And that's how I got my waivers. And that's, I, I turned into a must join very quickly. And I had to pay in to continue working on the production. And I worked on it for probably about three months. And that's when, you know, I, I became a, a full fledged. Uh, Screen Actors Guild member, and then of course they merged with AFTRA, so now it's stag aftra Right. Um, but yeah, I've been a, a member since I think 2003.
0: Wow. Okay. Yeah. So you you've been a member since much earlier than when you were pursuing voice acting. Oh, um,
1: absolutely, absolutely.
0: Interesting. And stand-in work is very—it's very specific work. It's 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 pretty tough work too. It's not like being a background actor. You have to, you know, you, you have to know your mark and sometimes know the lines and and let your let the celebrity or whoever you're standing in for know if there have been any line changes and that sort of thing. Right? Exactly. Exactly. Interesting. So I'm curious, I guess this would be a good time to ask, like you've done so many different types of uh, work within entertainment, whether it's producing stuff or acting on camera or stand in work or voice acting, are there specific things that you can think of in the other avenues that ended up making you uh, a better voice actor?
1: Oh, absolutely. Uh, and, I, and I very much appreciate that question. I think it's important to know that when you study theater, I, I think voiceover is a compilation of all the different um, studies that you do along the way, all the different um, disciplines that you learn along the way. So my example is that learning theater was like getting my bachelor's degree. And then doing TV and film was like getting my master's degree. And then getting into voiceover was like getting my doctorate. Huh. So you incorporate all the different things of what you've learned to be able to do this particular thing. And that's not to diminish the other uh, disciplines at all. You, you can become masters of those as well, but voiceover in particular borrows aspects of all of those things uh, and and is incredibly difficult. Um, it's not just about doing a silly voice or doing a, a, a funny accent or something. It's about fully embodying a character, whether it's silly or not. Right. You know, SpongeBob SquarePants is a very silly voice from Tom Kenny, but it is a fully fledged character. And you believe that character in any single moment when, right. when they're on screen. That's a testament to the acting abilities of Tom Kenny. Sure. So, any character that you do, you have to have a foundation of acting. You have to have uh, some improv in there, the ability to think quickly on your feet, to be able to make choices um, and and create in in the voids where the writing doesn't necessarily cover everything. Mm. So it's a multi layered and very very difficult discipline, uh, and it's something that I've just grown to appreciate and love so much over the years. Now think about this: when you're having a conversation with somebody. You have the use of your hands. If you're a hand talker, you have the the use of your facial expressions to be able to indicate to the other person if you're being serious or if you're being funny, and you take all of that away and you just have the voice. What are you left with? So that's the place where you have this ability to create and to paint this tapestry with all these different amazing things. And I just, I think the process of it is is so fascinating.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I love that you mentioned, you know, sometimes you have to figure out uh, what to add between the lines that might not be in the script. Um, I feel like that's where a lot of the fun lies too. But specifically, you mentioned Tom Kenny and SpongeBob. And and one of the things, like you said, it's not about a crazy voice or anything like that. And uh, I feel like a lot of times people think that's the case with animation, but even SpongeBob, has the dimensions like you mentioned and is very grounded as quirky as the comedy is, grounded within the world that he lives in. Um so I think that's the perfect time to ask you because you know a lot of regularly working, very experienced voice actors still very rarely, if at all, work in animation. And you've been able to work in animation a lot from Mickey Mouse Funhouse to Tom and Jerry in New York, We Bear Bears, like a million other things. So how, what do you attribute that to? How, why do you think that you've been so successful in animation where a lot of people are still trying to sort of crack that code?
1: Well, well, thank you for that. I, I appreciate that. I, sure. I worked very hard to be where I am. But I would say that in understanding what it is that I have to offer, my acting style is very high energy, quirky, uh, offbeat. In some ways, um, I'm a very good utility player when it comes to doing a lot of different voices that are believable. And that just happened to be the niche that I felt that I was drawn to because of my inherent abilities that, that I've taught myself over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't do a lot of commercial work because I don't have that every man voice. I don't have the, you know, the, the, the typical American you know your everyday kind of guy voice Hmm. I, i always play quirky characters and even when i was in theater or i was in film i would play those kinds of characters so i don't look at that and say oh man you know it's it's my acting abilities that mean i can't do the other things it's simply that when you get into the entertainment industry you filter yourself into a specific area and if you can laser focus on what it is you are good at you have a really good chance of being successful. So I knew inherently that animation and video games were something that uh, I I could excel in, and that's where I took the most risk uh, and and you know gambled the most mm-hmm. and have had the most reward. But I'm currently uh, I've been training on promo like network promos. Mm-hmm. I just cut a new demo uh, with J. Michael Collins, who's a great demo producer and coach. Nice. And, uh, you know, I'm looking to diversify uh, from that. But I love animation so much. There's such a, a gratifying release of energy within me when I get to be free and, and funny and enjoy bringing a character to life that people may look at me and say, that's you? That's really you? That's always so fun to me.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I feel like with any type of voice acting, even very serious stuff, it's just our our career in general is is a, a rare opportunity to be able to be kids still, you know, all that yes. childlike play and imagination that at some point most people sort of have to put a cap on. We don't have to do that, which is great. But just out of curiosity, was it because I haven't done a ton of prelay animation gigs, but when I did, it was I still got the rare opportunities to do like ensemble records. Was that the case with you generally or um, was most of it solo sessions?
1: You know, I I love group sessions, but I think I've only done a handful of them in my mm-hmm. time here in in LA. Most of them are solo sessions. Yeah. And I yeah. think that has to do with timing, you know, scheduling. Um we work with a lot of celebrities on the right. different shows and they're only available at specific times, so you know, just naturally people get into the booth at different times. Um but yeah, on a rare occasion when I've had a group record, it's so much fun because the actors just love to be silly with each other. And, uh, you know, ca- cause the the voice director uh, stress because we're we're not working. We're having too much fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh, man. It's I, I did just
1: want to say, you know, cartoon characters are anchors to our childhood and anchors to our innocence. And I think when people meet voice actors and connect those memories uh, to the characters that they loved when they were younger, there's an instant connection to what becoming an adult has told you to turn off in your brain. right? And so to be a facilitator of that in any capacity and bring that joy to the world through my work, I mean, what else could you ask for?
0: Man, the way that you laid it out is, is the perfect reminder that what we're doing is important work. I love that definition. So uh, I feel like I might know the answer to this question based on that, that definition. But You've done obviously work where you got to be very quirky, do different voices and accents and stuff. And then you've done work that might be very cinematic video game stuff where it's just your own voice and you're living within your own natural voice print. So do you prefer one over the other or do you appreciate being able to do all of it?
1: I appreciate all of it. And uh, look, every, every different version of what I do brings me so much satisfaction. I mean, I get to work and do what I love every single day i mean what more could you ask for but yeah everything you know uh uh, stretches you in a different way and i i love roles where i can be very dramatic or i can be very serious in tone and take my time with the pacing whereas with animation it's almost like you're on a metronome you know there's a specific beat to the timing of the comedy that you have to hit in order to keep a younger audience's attention So it's a very different expenditure of that energy, that creative energy inside of me. And uh, if I didn't have an outlet for all of it in different ways, I I probably wouldn't be very satisfied. Mm -hmm. So I love the opportunities to stretch and do things that are very grounded and very serious. Uh, And I love the things that are not so serious and more aloof because it's just the full spectrum of who I am as a performer.
0: Right. Yeah. Uh, Well, you know, speaking of, and I know I alluded to this earlier, but you've, again, you've been able to book all different types of characters and types of voiceover. When it comes to auditioning, do you have a specific strategy or like, do you like to do multiple takes or record with a cold read or really spend your time with the script and try to figure out the character's desires and, you know, the who, what, where before you start recording and playing with it?
1: You know, it's interesting because... I think when you first start doing voiceovers, you want to spend a lot of time diving into the script and thinking about the voice and thinking about the character. And the reality is when you're living in this lifestyle and you've got, you know, five to 10 to 20 auditions a day, um, you don't have time to sit there and say, I want to what my character had for breakfast today what was the relationship with their father like what was the constitution of their last bowel movement you just don't have the time to think about those things you kind of have to look at it and make a split decision and say okay this voice okay this voice and then you can break down the script and you know make your further choices down the line but as you put in your ten thousand hours like you said earlier Um, you just become more familiar with how to jump from one to the other and to allocate your time, because let's face it, doing auditions is not the only thing that I do. I also have the sessions that I have to prepare for when I do book the work. I have a business that I run, uh, which, you know, includes a lot of different facets. I'm on social media, so I'm creating content while I'm doing all of this at the same time. I have family, I have friends, I have a life to live so there's a lot that goes into any given day and being able to juggle those things means that i have to remove obstacles that may come my way uh as a creative person to be as free as possible when i finally get in to do that audition so if i'm worried about how i'm going to pay my rent you know if if i'm struggling financially or if i hadn't eaten that day it's going to affect my audition i have to take care of myself so Every situation is different. Everybody has different volumes of work, different uh, uh you know schedules, different strategies. There is no one way mm-hmm. to be successful doing that. Um, everybody's different. And for me, uh, I've just come into a system where if I look at a script, I come up very quickly with an idea of a voice, and then I start focusing on the acting. I start focusing on what the writers are trying to tell me. During the script? What are the comedic points? Is this even funny? Is this even supposed to be funny? Would it be funny if I did a contrast of, you know, serious to funny on something as a as a choice that maybe the casting director wasn't expecting? Exactly. So those are just things that I've asked myself over time that I've just become very good at making a split decision of when I jump into these things. Right. So I'll get in the booth, I'll lay down a couple takes. Um, sometimes I get tripped up like everybody else on. You know, should I say it this way or should I say it this way or
0: should I say it this
1: way? I don't know. So I'll do that and I'll play with it and I'll choose whatever works best. Um, But every situation is different.
0: OK, Um, you mentioned, you know, obviously you can't spend a ton of time on it because you have sessions to prepare for a life to live. um, The business. I have to interviews to do. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, but. Do you have any, like, what are some of the things you do on the business side? I mean, I know you also create a bunch of other really fun content. You do stuff on TikTok and you do a lot more creative things outside of auditioning and voice acting specifically. But in terms of like business and networking and marketing and that sort of thing, uh, what are some things that you do that have helped you uh, your voice acting career? Oh, absolutely. Um,
1: You know, I, I like to say that when it comes to the digital realm, um it's important to tell a story it's important to map out what it is that you want the people who visit you to to learn about you so have a good website have a lot of information on your website have your demos on your website have good pictures of you on your website have testimonials you know about your work or other things that you offer and then give people opportunities to see another side of you you know your social media what, what difference is there between your Instagram and your Twitter account or your TikTok page or your YouTube channel? Mm-hmm. You know, when somebody looks for me, I want them to go on a journey of discovery to the point where they are then a fan of me and they want to continue to hear my work, especially if they're a casting director, producer, or somebody relevant in the industry. Right. So it's important for me to curate that specifically for them and to come up with a strategy and a plan. And that requires paying someone to take good headshots, uh, making sure that your SEO is up to speed so that when people search for you, they can find you given certain keywords. Right. Um, you know, what kind of content are you putting out there? Are you gaining a following, which is ever more important as we dive into this digital age? Um, this intangible thing of having followers is, is now a, a factor in casting decisions. You know, both these people are great for this part, but this person has a million followers and this person only has a few hundred. Who are we going to cast? I can't tell you how many times I've been, you know, in a casting decision where somebody gets it because they've got millions of followers and I don't. Hmm. So, you know, there's a lot that goes into that. So that's, you know, a website, a good online presence, I think, is really important, but also what you put into your day to day. And when you meet people face to face and shake their hand, do you have a business card that you can offer? Um, Are you dressed well? Are you groomed well? Are you going to make a good first impression with people? Do you have uh, are you paying for lunch? Is that going on a business card, a business credit card where you earn points to something else? Are your taxes in order? Is this going to your business rather than your personal funds so that you can take a deduction at the end of the year? Uh, you know, what are your 1099s versus your W2s? Um, there's a lot of things. If you're fortunate enough to get residuals, 10% of that goes to your agency and those come in all the time. So I've got to cut checks to my agent, you know, for, for 10% of what I make, document my, my stuff. I have logs of all the work that I do. Um, so there's, there's a lot that's involved behind the scenes and I'm just touching, you know, the tip of the iceberg on that one.
0: Right well you mentioned you know obviously with the content that you make that more than anybody you you want to make sure that it's stuff that casting directors and producers would enjoy if they discovered you through that so uh i guess that's a good time to ask like you know i've i've been going at it for a few years and have been fortunate enough to in the past couple of years get to a point where i've booked enough gigs and Handle them in a professional, enjoyable manner uh, enough to the point that people will, you know, some gigs will occasionally come without me having to audition just based on those relationships. Exactly. Yeah. So you've been doing it for a while. So I know it's tough to put a percentage on it, but like how much of your work would you say you you get through auditions and how much through just the relationships you've built and and sort of that other esoteric stuff?
1: I, I think it changes the longer you're in the industry. Um, but I would say probably as of present, uh, I would say 80% of what I book is, uh, you know, things that I get through my agent or things that I've auditioned for. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe, tw- maybe 15 to 20% is, you know, somebody I worked with somebody and they liked what I did. So they recommended me to somebody else. And then I got to audition and then I got it. And then I bring that job to my agency, mm-hmm. um, you know, that that happens, that does happen. And the longer you're in the industry and the longer people know that you're good to work with and you're reliable and you're, you're fun and you're good at what you do, uh, the more people will continue to talk about you and spread the word, so to speak. So gradually that number increases, you know, you, you'd right. love to have, you know, 50% of that being just word of mouth. And for some people it is. I, I know a lot of people who work in commercials who have uh, word of mouth clients that they they just work with over and over again because they're reliable and they know them, so they have recurring work every single month, because they just have built up their client base. Mm -hmm. But for animation it's it's a little bit different it's a little bit different getting to know writers getting to know artists. You know, going to the schools where they actually make the the stuff and uh, volunteering your time if they want to, you know, use a voice for a project. If that person gets out of school and has a a pitch that's successful and they say, who am I going to turn to for voices? I want them to think me. Right. So investing your time into those kinds of things is is really, really crucial.
0: Absolutely. Um, So you've been going at this for a long, long time, obviously on camera for for much longer, but still a, a long time with voice acting specifically and long enough that things have definitely changed. You know, there's you don't go in person as much anymore. There's there's more uh, pay to plays and, and things have become more digitized. Uh, a lot has changed and now you have to worry about your followers and things like that. Have you been able to adjust with the changes pretty easily or, or was there sort of a maybe a, a more difficult adjustment that you had to make? Or have you just been able to roll with the punches the whole time? I feel
1: like I chose a side of the entertainment industry that it was very easy to roll with the punches. Hmm. You know, I, I I feel so poorly for a lot of my on-camera friends because when production shut down, there was nothing they could do. Right. So a lot of people actually flooded into voiceover because they realized that, you know, oh, this is really easy. We could do this, you know, from home. And it's not very easy, but it is something that could be done from home. So I do my auditions from home all the time. And all it required of me was to be able to, you know, upgrade some equipment or tweak a couple things here or there to be able to actually run sessions from from my home. So I have recorded movies, TV shows, video games, all from the comfort of my home. Um, Whereas, you know, my on-camera friends didn't have that luxury. So I got very lucky in that regard um, when the pandemic unfortunately hit. I think the one thing that has changed dramatically is how people can get their education. Uh, A lot of voice coaches who were inaccessible before you had to be here in Los Angeles, Mm -hmm. you can now access worldwide, you know, you just have to be on their time and be on zoom and pay the fee to be in their class. And you can learn from some of the greatest voices in the industry. That's something new. And a lot of the instructors are saying, you know, we don't want to do it live anymore. We'll just do it over Zoom. It's so much easier. I can do that from home and I don't have to worry about logistics. I don't have to, you know, rent a studio. I don't have to wait for students who might be late or I might be late or traffic or this or that. It's just so much easier. So I think that's the one thing that has definitively changed Mm -hmm. since the pandemic. But what hasn't changed, is the fact that you really still need to be here in LA to be booking consistently with animation and video games.
0: Well, you mentioned again with... You know, how much easier it's gotten to be able to learn from top notch voice talent and directors and take classes with them digitally. So that's the perfect time to ask you, because I know you also do some coaching as well and you've done uh, classes as well. So first of all, when did you decide to give that a shot and sort of what inspired it? Oh, that was just the smoothest of segues, Sean. I I give you all the kudos for that. Um, (laughs) Hey, you gave me the assist.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, thank you. Yeah, I I have started coaching, uh, again, specifically for animation and video games. Mm -hmm. And I think I've always enjoyed teaching every job that I've worked in my past. uh, I've always been the person that, you know, they turn to to say, hey, can you teach this person? Can you do that? I, you know, I ended up teaching, you know, managers on a, on a district and regional level at the different companies that I worked at, because that's just kind of what I enjoyed doing. I like to take a situation and map it out for somebody rather than say, here, read a book. Now you learned that? Good. Go do the job. I don't like doing that. Mm -hmm. I like to live in real world experience and take people through a mental journey of how to come to conclusions, how to make decisions. What is it that factors into this or factors into that? I like to, to dwell in that uh, category. So when it came to, you know, coaching for voiceover, I, like many other people who have imposter syndrome, were like, what do I have to offer? I'm, I'm the new guy. Right. You know, I haven't been established for decades and decades and, you know, all this other stuff. But I realized very quickly I came to L.A. I followed a strategy. I've been successful with what I've done. I do have something to offer. And people ask me all the time, how do I get into voiceover? So I figured, you know, let's try coaching. Let's try doing some workshops. Let's see what happens. Let's see if it is of value to anybody. Mm -hmm. And the feedback that I've been getting overwhelmingly is, yes, please do more of this. So (laughs) I guess I'm a coach now and I really enjoy it. And I've, I've been able to help a lot of people and uh, get people motivated to, to you know follow their dreams. Uh, I almost feel like a part motivational speaker uh, other than coach, but I, I do have my strategies. I love breaking down copy with students. Mm-hmm. And when I have an opportunity to lead a workshop, I, I love doing that. I was just in Dallas at the One Voice Conference and I was uh, teaching oh, nice. there. I'll be in Dublin, uh, Ireland at the end of this month, uh, teaching for a full week. And I'm very excited about that. So uh, it it seems that people like what I'm offering. So I'm all all about it.
0: Hey, (laughs) Daniel, if if you need somebody to turn the projector on or something, I'm happy to fly (laughs) with you to Dublin. (laughs) That's amazing. But, you know, you mentioned you're, I mean, you're a natural teacher, like you said, with your different jobs, you've always been the one to try to teach people the process instead of just tell them to read a book. But are there aspects, once you started coaching and and leading workshops, are there things that you didn't expect along, you know, with the process or things that you enjoy that you didn't really um, predict would happen?
1: I really enjoy, as a a creative, um, I love the ability to affect people positively or negatively i just love the ability to affect people so when i say you know positively or negatively i mean if i'm playing a an evil character for something and they really hate that character i love that i got to make them feel a certain way about the story that's being told right so that's really special and very gratifying to me so as a coach and as an instructor if i get to influence somebody Uh, in a positive way and, and help them achieve their goals, then I get the same kind of gratification there. It's, it's the ability to, to change the world, so to speak, little by little person by person. So yeah, if the insights that I have are of value to people and it helps them in their career or their lives in general, then I feel like I'm doing my part. So yeah, I'm starting to invest in doing that now. And if anybody listening would like to coach with me, uh, please visit my website, actordanielross.com, uh, and you can uh, you can coach with me. And uh, just to leave it there, if any of your listeners, hey, you out there, if you want to follow me on social media, I've made it very easy for you. My handle is Actor Daniel Ross, just like my website is actordanielross.com. You can find me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and of course, uh, TikTok under Actor Daniel Ross, and I certainly hope you do. Uh, please be in touch.
0: That wraps up my chat with Daniel Ross. Again, if you'd like to be coached by him, check out his site at actordanielross.com. In the meantime, here are some of the many tips he shared. Like tip number 1, when auditioning for sound-alikes, pay extra close attention to the instructions. Usually they'll provide clues that'll help you know how much of an exact sound-alike they want and how much of your unique take they want. 2. If you want to work in animation, be as good as you can at animation-specific skills. Daniel's acting style is very high-energy and offbeat in some ways, which lends itself well to animation. He's also great at creating a variety of different, believable voices and accents, which makes him a great utility player. And three, when it comes to digital marketing, it's important to tell a story. Map out what it is that you want visitors to learn about you and let that inform your website and demos. And show a different side of you that differentiates your Instagram from your TikTok, Twitter, or other social media accounts. And on that note, may all you voice actors keep acting up.